Okay, everybody, I think we're here. Um, this is this new segment that we're putting in, which is kind of like a preparatory sharing session before um, we listen to the message. And so um, I wonder, Josh, if you could please share the screen where it's kind of a kind of a give and take uh, where maybe we have something to give or maybe we we'll want to take in and consider um, the questions that that are here for us. So this is the, the two questions that um, we've got time after I do my bit here for you to respond either in the comments or to unmute yourself and share or use if you um, aren't sure when to unmute yourself, you can use the hand raising function and the host will instruct you on that. So the, the first question is how much of your 12 year old self can you still connect with? If you think about like who you were, how you were in the world, what was going on in your life when you were 12, how much of that can you remember and connect with? And then in that space, what would the gifts or interests be that still remain? And I know when I thought of those questions, the first thing that came up for me is 12 years old is a really complicated age for me to remember because there were some pretty horrible things that happened when I was 12. But then I remembered this thing that often helps me is two things can be true. And so I don't know if your 12-year-old self feels a little tricky to connect with like mine does. And I just want to offer that sometimes we can kind of be in that space where we remember those tricky things, those things that were hard or sad or difficult. But then we can also remember that those are not all the things that were true about being 12. And um, like 12 was grade seven going into grade eight. So teen angst, man, that was just so real. And then there were some also just really difficult events. But then I also can hold that what is also true at the same time is this 12-year-old person that I was that had so much energy, so many ideas, so much like learning to find out what were the things that kind of made me unique or, or made me... Um, feel like I came alive. And I know for me, when I was 12, um, I started at a new school. And I kind of had this sense that like, my musical ability was something that I could kind of really lean into, and would almost like, redeem and save a lot of the really hard things that had happened when I was 12. So I just invite you to if you want to share. Um, your gifts or interests or like characteristics of who you were that you still are like, Oh yeah, that's still a part of who I am or that I can still remember those things or, um, and some of them might be funny. Some of them might be poignant and maybe you want to share those, those things with us. So um, just however that feels like to connect with your 12 year old self and maybe you just need stillness, too, in that, to connect with that part of you and just encourage you just to take a moment and think back. And if you want to share, um, please go ahead and, and do that.
I just would invite you to consider your 12-year-old self and all the complication and the beauty and the ideas and the innocence. And maybe just put your hand on your heart and just like imagine just sending love to that person and acceptance for who you've always been, who you were, who you are becoming even now, where those things began. <sighs> I invite you just to breathe into that and send love. And then from there, I will pass it on to the next segment of our service. All right. Good morning, everyone. We're about to do communion. So if you haven't yet grabbed bread and wine or something of the equivalent, something to eat and something to drink, um, I recommend goldfish at the Lowen House. That's been my favorite so far. Um, but yeah, grab something. Um, and so just kind of what I've prepared before we take the bread and wine has just been in light of winter. Um, and I know winter can be a very dull and dreary season. Um, I was home in Saskatchewan for Christmas. It was supposed to be 10 days turned into 19. Um, and most of that time it was about minus 40 out, um, not even with the wind chill. And my understanding is you guys got a lot of snow here too while I was gone. Um, so just in light of all the winterness, I found a bit of a liturgy online. Um, I forgot to write who wrote it. So it's somewhere on Google. Um, but I just invite you to kind of take a deep breath uh, and just kind of still yourself before I read this. God of winter, the unpopular slandered season. God of lightning, wind, and storm. God of brisk winter mornings, frosted back lawns, and stark hillsides. Of warm socks, coats, and gloves. Raincoats, umbrella, umbrellas, and warm fires. We open ourselves to all the possibilities life offers us. When we too experience the winter of our lives, may we find the courage to let go and trust in your guiding, warming light. As we eat together at this table, we remember the importance and the words and the actions of all the meals in the tradition of Jesus. Yes, Josh found it in the comments. Go, Josh. Um, everyone, is to be here. Everyone is welcome to be here. In this way, we lift up a world of inclusion where we are, where all people live with respect and dignity. Everyone present will receive a share. In this way, we lift up a world of generosity where, as in the example of Jesus, abundance overcomes scarcity, so all are fed. Everyone is invited to take a portion and to see others also receive. In this way, we lift up a world of sufficiency where entrenched systems of privilege are challenged, wealth is shared equally, and all are satisfied with enough. So as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus on the night of his betrayal took bread, 
Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. So I invite you to eat your bread. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And I invite you to drink. God of amazing grace, in the cold of the winter months, we're grateful for your presentness warming us. We pray that this presence will strengthen us to follow you in the way of Jesus, wherever we are. And I would just like to quickly pray for Eden before she shares with us. Jesus, thank you that your presence is here, even sometimes in the dreariness of the winter or the chaos of the Christmas season or whatever life looks like right now. You are with us and we thank you for your presence. I just ask that you be with Eden as she shares what she's prepared, um, that you help us to be in a posture of listening to what you would like to share with us through your spirit today, Lord. Um, yeah, amen. Thanks, Taryn. Sorry for the distraction behind me. Welcome to my kitchen. Um, you're welcome here. I wish I could actually have you all over to my house. That, uh, I could make you something and that uh, we could all just be together and talk and laugh and carry on. Hopefully this year, right? Hopefully this year. Um, my sermon today is from uh, Luke 2. It's the story of... Um, Jesus kind of going MIA in, uh, in Jerusalem and his parents having to find him. And uh, this is uh, from the lectionary that we're using. Uh, and I forget exactly what the title is, but um, it's a lovely, um, it's a lovely lectionary to be working with. It's a little bit different. So here we go from uh, Luke 2. I'll read the passage first. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast. And when it was over and they left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among relatives and neighbors, but they didn't find him. They went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt 
His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly, deep within herself. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. So Jesus clearly grew up and lived in an entirely different culture to ours today. That at 12 years old, he, was, he could be separated from his parents for a whole day, like 24 hours before they started to look around and check in with friends and family as to where he was seems impossible today. But that's the story. And after his parents turned back to Jerusalem, it still took another day before they found him. And the passage gives a little nod to Mary and Joseph's angst and frustration when they find him in the temple. And by golly, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the half of it. But I'm not here to speculate this morning. I'd rather just jump into something that I think stands out quite prominently and is definitely worth talking about uh, and pursuing this morning. There's this coming of age dynamic that each generation faces around questions like, who am I? What am I here for? What's my purpose? What is my identity? And it seems like Jesus happened along on this same path at a fairly early age. Most 12-year-olds aren't thinking quite that deep, or maybe they are, as we were just talking. Um, but we just often, as adults, tell them, there's lots of time to figure all that out. Don't worry about it right now. Mary and Joseph finally catch up with Jesus in the temple. And he's surrounded by the temple leaders and apparently into the thick of things with them. He's clearly made an impression. I wonder if some of the leaders weren't wondering, like, does this kid have parents? Are they ever going to come pick him up? But the leaders seem to be enjoying the conversation. They're impressed by this 12-year-old on three fronts. Jesus was apparently a good listener, but not just a good listener. He was understanding and comprehending enough that he could form good questions to ask in order to learn more. And then when questions were posed in his direction, the leaders were impressed by his responses. The Bible doesn't give us much information about Jesus's growing up years. We know the story of his birth and that he and his parents made a quick ex escape to uh, Egypt in the first couple years of his life. And then this story at 12. After that, we catch up with him around the age of 30. And a one sentence summary, 
and Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people, wraps up the nearly 20 years between this story and the next. But if you can only have one story that captures who Jesus was at 12, I think this is the one you would want to have. It could have been something like Jesus became uh, was part of a soccer team that never lost and that he still holds all the records to this very day, or that he was a very young entrepreneur that made water into wine and made his family very rich. And then he wrote books about becoming wealthy that are still on the top list today, the top sellers list. But that was not the direction that Jesus was taking, and those stories would not have captured the gold that is within the one story that we have of him. When Jesus was finally found in the temple by his parents, they had some questions for him. First of all, though, I just want to say it is slightly comforting to know that parenting really hasn't changed all that much, and most of us have felt what Joseph and Mary expressed. Kid, how could you do this to us? We've been out of our minds worrying and looking for you. But it's Jesus's answer to that age-old angsty question that is gold in this passage. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? Let's remember that both Mary and Joseph were in on the secret. Mary was pondering things, right? So it is, it's curious, but not really important, why Joseph and Mary didn't think to look at the temple for a whole day. So let's get back to Jesus's answer to his parents and what it illuminated about this 12-year-old. He understood the assignment. He understood that God was his father. And there were things to do, understand, and establish. Jesus knew who he was by the time he was 12. And this is critically important because he was the only, he was only going to have a couple more decades and he would have to be on task. His 12-year-old understanding of who he was was critical when he was in the desert just before entering the ministry. It was critical when he was confronted by the religious leaders who constantly tested and tried to trap Jesus with gotcha questions. It was critical when he came into his power because power that is held by someone who does not understand why they have that power or how to use it will likely be taken advantage of by the people who surround them. And it was critical because at 12, Jesus was learning that you can use questions to lead others to self-discovery, like a good spiritual director. Do you know that Jesus asked more questions than he offered? Jesus' 12-year-old understanding of who he was 
is why he could later say, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. So he can, he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. That's in John 5. That understanding that adult Jesus had of who he is and how he was to function and be was rooted in the 12-year-old understanding of his identity. Jesus lived his life in his truest self. And the difference that knowing who you are makes in the long run is this. When opportunities, challenges, questions, forks in the road arise, you don't have to start from scratch on what to do. Who you are, how you do, why you're here, all those things are established and help you to sift through all the questions. Can I just leave you with a question here? Well, besides that one. Why would we not want our 12-year-olds and teenagers to be entering into self-discovery in a way that helps them to find their identity? Why would we postpone that for them? If we're to follow Jesus, then this is the place to start. It's not too late for anyone to have a good look at themselves and consider what they are here to be and do. And that's what I mean by identity. Who and what are you here to be and do? Jesus moved in a certainty because he understood who he was and the assignment. And he was able to do that because he listened to his father. So if you're wondering, what the heck am I here for? You might like to work through a little process that includes listening to God. I spent the first 40 years, mostly being a people pleaser. I understand that, I understood that setting myself aside for the sake of others, doing what they wanted me to do for them was a way of having friends and keeping peace. But the returns on that way of being were extremely thin. I was open to some changes around that time, 40, but had no idea how to go about it. So I started listening to God about how he saw me, what he felt about me, and what he wanted for me. And this began a year-long journey that ended with me changing my name. I'll tell you, if you're a people pleaser, don't change your name. It is not going to please a lot of people. But that happened 18 years ago. So if you haven't heard this story, it's because it's a long time ago. So I'll give you a Cole's note version right now. In listening one day, I thought I heard God say that he would call me by a new name. I assumed that would be a term of endearment between him and I. Uh, and definitely did not actually think this would end up in a legal name change. In the following nine months that, uh, of me following and listening to Jesus, he would come to me in my dreams at night. And in the morning, I would unwrap those dreams to discover 
what treasures lay inside. Some of the things that I learned about me came directly from listening prayer times, where I would be given an image that I would investigate and that would draw out of me either false things that I believed about myself or true things that I had buried. This journey also helped me rediscover things I had loved and really enjoyed that I had just buried in some hole because everyone else's joys and interests came ahead of mine. The fruit of this journey to understanding my identity and the call on my life has been so transformative that I honestly can sometimes hardly recognize who I had been. And without knowing what life would throw at me, I could not have imagined pastoring as my old self. And do you know what I learned about God from this process? From discovering who I am and my identity. I learned that God loves me deeply and that they are invested in me living from my truest self. I learned that God was waiting for my yes to transformation and willing to walk alongside me as I discovered who I really actually was meant to be. I now identify as a room maker. I don't mean like I make rooms, though I'd be open to that, uh, but that I make room. I love to make room at the table with eyes that are looking for anyone else who wishes to belong. And in understanding that is my identity and my purpose, when I was offered a position on staff at the bridge a year ago, it was quite easy to see that this is where I belonged. This came entirely out of the blue, but even the sudden timing of things didn't throw me off because I understand who I am, how I am, and what I bring. So, I would love to invite you into a, a process of discovery this year. No matter your age or maturity or immaturity, no matter if you're just beginning your career halfway through or retiring, no matter if you still don't know what you want to be or think you've got that nailed down. This understanding of who you are is vital to your quality of life. And I'd like to offer a couple of apologies. If your parents dictated to you who and what you would be, as a mom with the best of intentions, I apologize for doing that to you, likely steering you towards my wishes instead of allowing you to be yourself. And I apologize to any of you, perhaps all of you, for leading you astray in the same regards within the church setting. As a pastor, I have tried to corral you to meet the needs the organization has and have not always taken the time to sit with you to find out what it is you feel called to and how you best express yourself in the corporate church setting. I understand the harm that has caused you. I have felt it myself. So I am without excuse in perpetuating this harm. Please 
let my expectations of you go and those that I represent today. So let's just move into a bit of a process this morning. I'm gonna offer some questions that you are currently, um, questions that you might want to listen for, but also offer these questions as a catalyst to a deeper conversation with your spouse or a good friend or your kids or coworkers. Maybe start with writing down what you think your identity is or the identity that you are currently operating in the capacity of? Does that really feel like the truest version of yourself? So we're gonna enter into a listening process that might help you to connect to God and establish who and how you are in a more authentic way. The first questions that we're gonna have, we're gonna post them up as I go through them so that you can see them. And if you want to, you can write them down. Um, the first set of questions are questions for yourself, okay? So we'll start with this. Do you feel comfortable with who you identify as right now? Can you express that identity? Can you define it in a short sentence? Do I feel a strong call to anything right now in my life? Yes or no? And if yes, what is that? If no, has there ever been a time in your life when you did? What was that and why did it change? If these questions are coming a little too fast for you, um, I think we'll try to have them um, either in the chat as well, or um, uh, we can try to post them on Instagram or something like that too, just so that you can take time. I get that you need way more time than we can offer you this morning. But it's a way of starting the process and to understand the kind of questions you can be asking. Uh, this next set of questions are questions for God. Um, these questions are important because we have a creator. And while I don't think they will tell you specifically who you are. From what I understand, they do know you very well. So why not engage in this process with those that know you best? So the first question, Jesus, how do you see me? Jesus, show me your heart. Jesus, what about me fills you with joy? Jesus, what about me fills you with sadness? And Jesus, when do you see me being my truest self? 
and Jesus, how do you see me being my false self? These are big questions. These are the kind of questions that help you find out who you truly are. They're the kind of questions that will lead you onto a journey. Will help you connect with God, but also with yourself. So this is just the start of the process to learning your identity and then living in it. I would encourage you not to waste any time in starting on this journey. I do have a couple of recommendations that if um, this is something that intrigues you or that you would really like to continue, um, I have two um, resources. One uh, is a website um, that will lead you to, to resources called Identity Exchange. It's um, a ministry created by Jamie and Donna Winship. Uh, they're now on the East Coast uh, or in Tennessee in the States. Um, but their whole, this whole ministry is set up um, to help you to find your truest self and, uh, and your identity. And then uh, I'm going to recommend one more uh, resource that is probably, uh, I'm probably about to commit a grievous sin. And so you'll have to... Um, Oh, you'll have to forgive me for this one, but I would also suggest reading a book called Rivers from Eden from a little known author. And, um, and it's a book of 40 questions to engage with uh, God with. And, uh, and you will discover a lot of things about yourself by just asking the questions. And uh, I would recommend it. Um, I have some in my garage. Um, so, um, I'm just going to close with prayer now. And um, I, I really hope that you, um, that you would engage in this this year. And if you want help with it, you can reach out to me um, and, uh, and we can take some steps towards this. Because I would really love for all of you to know um, truly who you were meant to be and uh, your truest identity. So let's close with prayer. Creator, maker of all things and each of us, shine your light in us. Show us who we have been made to be and ignite in us a love for who we are. We see you and know you are good. We're grateful for your presence in our lives. Amen.